Hello, listeners. Welcome to Educational Landscapes, Lessons from Leaders. On today's episode, we are going to learn from Lauren Christensen Lindquist. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So to get us going, what is or are your educational leadership titles? I am the Director of Graduate Studies for our MPH and MSPH programs in epidemiology, the Rollins School of Public Health. So I oversee both of our master's programs in the epidemiology department. Awesome. Um, can you tell us a bit more? What, what is involved in epidemiology? In epidemiology? So, you know, during the pandemic or before the pandemic, a lot of people thought that what we did was study skin because epidemiology, epidermis, but we're like, no, those are, those are dermatologists. So <laughs> the way I often describe it is we use uh, math and statistics to find out who gets sick and why. Um, and so what we do in the school of public health in the department of epidemiology is really teach our students the tools that they need to be able to answer important research questions to improve health. Thank you. I appreciate um, because I know I've heard the word many times, but I'm not always sure I know what it truly means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully that helps. Absolutely. So what do you do in your leadership role? A lot of things. It's a little bit of everything. Um, you know, really following students from before they even apply. So I do a lot of recruitment um, work through admissions and then supporting our students throughout their time in the program. Um, I oversee our curriculum. So I did, before I took on this leadership role, I was teaching several different courses, but now I get to think about the whole trajectory of what our students are doing in our time with us, both in our department and other departments. They have some um, practical experience that they do. And so thinking about that whole big picture, I work with faculty to support their teaching. So helping faculty who are developing new classes, um, those who maybe have come up across a few little trouble spots and try to brainstorm with them, you know, what could we do to sort of get back on track? Um, and then some things at the school level too. So helping discuss and vote on policies or new courses that might be coming in. Um, so it's a mixed bag. Indeed. Um, so one of the things I think you're one of the first who's actually talked about the whole recruitment bit as part of your role. What does that entail? So we will often host events for students who are just thinking about public health and really introducing them to what epidemiology is. Because when things are going well, you don't really see us. <laughs> you don't know that we're at work behind the scenes. And not a lot of people know about epidemiology. And so um, it's really a chance to have prospective students learn about what we do in the field and what they could do with a career in epidemiology um, and what to expect with their time with us at Rollins. Thank you. So given, as you said, the full spectrum from recruitment to teaching to supporting faculty, what skills do you use in order to get all of this done? I think the top two skills are communication and problem solving. Um, so doing lots of communication, both written and oral. Um, I've also been really into making infographics and trying to share some information with our students that way and, and faculty too. Um, and just doing some creative problem solving, knowing that, you know, difficult things come up, but 
we can do hard things and trying to just figure out how to puzzle through it. Um, I think has, those are the two things that have been most uh, important skill set wise. Love it. So um, as somebody who loves a good infographic, I have to ask, uh, what software do you use to create them? I use Canva. I love Canva too. Goodness. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, sometimes it becomes a problem. Like I could, it's a good, it's a good way to um, productively procrastinate. I'll put it that way. So, you know, I'm getting something fun done, something done, but <clears throat> also having a good time. Absolutely. <laughs> I understand that. So thinking about um, where you're at, what was your journey that led to this current role? Um, well, I think it a little bit starts as a doctoral student. I applied to um, Emory's Department of Epidemiology for the PhD program, and I did it because I loved epidemiology. And I knew that there was more to learn, which is like not a great reason to pursue a PhD. <laughs> um, but I just loved it. And I knew there was more to learn. And the thing I was most nervous about was teaching. And I knew that I was going to have to be a teaching assistant, lead my own discussion section of you know 25 students. And I didn't want to say my name. I didn't want to introduce myself. I was terrified of public speaking. But once I got over that, I realized not only do I love epidemiology, but I want other people to love it as much as I do. <clears throat> and so that I really think set me off on this, you know, journey to be an educator. And um, I had been teaching a lot in our department and was taught by our department chair um, to see if I would be interested in this role directing our master's programs. And I didn't quite know what it entailed. Um, but I knew it was a really outstanding opportunity. The person who held the role before me, I wasn't really sure, you know, I didn't know what they had been doing behind the scenes, but, um, seemed like an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And so I, I took it and I'm glad that I did. Awesome. So how many years have you been in the role? Since 2019. So four years now? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So thinking about those four years so far, what do you wish you knew before stepping into the role? <laughs> you know, I wish that I had known exactly what I was signing up for and that I would like it. Um, I think that there was, you know, some imposter syndrome at work. I was really worried. You know, I had only been on the faculty for a couple of years. I thought, am I really qualified for this? Am I the best person to do this job? what am I signing up for? I wish I had no known um, that I would enjoy it. And like, yes, I did belong there and that I was going to learn a lot um, and grow into the role and be successful. Um, but I, I would give myself like a little bit of a confidence boost if I could go back in time. What we now know, if only we knew it earlier. That's right. So what continuing professional development do you do in order to keep up with the needs of your role? Mm -hmm. Well, I was fortunate to be able to take advantage of one of the fellowship programs that the Woodruff Health Sciences um, Education Academy offers. So that was really exciting to learn from other educators across the Woodruff Health Sciences Center doing, you know, very different work oftentimes. I got to learn from colleagues who were, you know, teaching in a very clinical setting, but getting to learn about how they do things and thinking about educational theory was really helpful. 
Um, something that's been really important in my work is having a real focus on equity and inclusion in all that we do. And so trying to take advantage of as many seminars, um, trainings, just books to read, to just learn more about how we can make sure that everyone feels welcome and that we're fostering, you know, a diverse and inclusive environment. So that's been important. And then I don't know if anyone would ever say that Twitter is like, you know, professional development, but it, I would say that it is. So I spend some time, you know, just occasionally browsing Twitter to see what I, new ideas are people sharing and to learn about different perspectives and think about how I might incorporate that in my work or, you know, what I would leave aside and why. So I think those are the the main things. That's great. I think you're right. It is a very useful space because so many people post in Twitter. So are there any people you follow or any hashtags you use? So in the epidemiology community, um, there is Epi Twitter. And so you can search hashtag Epi Twitter and find all kinds of interesting things. Um, and sometimes I pull examples from there into my class because you know, people like to tell jokes about nerdy things. And so if we're learning about confounding, like there are a lot of, you know, humorous, relatable tweets that people will pull and it can help enhance the, um, the you know, the conversation and also just the understanding of the underlying concepts. Absolutely. And then you mentioned equity and inclusion, doing like, um, you know, courses, readings, any any recommendations for folks based off of? Goodness, I knew you were going to ask this and my, my, I should have thought more deeply about this because my memory for these sorts of specifics is really not great. Um, you know, I think I've learned a lot from Ibram X. Kendi, who I do follow on Twitter and actually was just at Target yesterday and saw he's got a book for kids. So I bought that for my oldest son and I'm excited for him to dig into that. Um, you know, I've just sort of paid attention to things that come out on various listservs. And so thinking like learning about what inclusion looks like in a particular, you know, subset of a field. So for example, the there's a like a, a Georgia regional public health group that sends out all kinds of different opportunities. Um, sometimes it'll be, you know, webinars about low birth weight in Georgia, and they might, you know, sort of explain what's going on there. But other times they'll have seminars on, you know, how, thinking about equity in maternal and child health research. And so I think sometimes we get a lot of emails and it's hard to sift through all of them, but I think, you know, oftentimes some of these various organizations that I'm a part of or whose mailing list I'm on often will have really great content. And I think it's useful because it's related to, you know, topically the things that you're interested in as well. And so it's a good professional development uh, tool, I think. Absolutely. Um, I'm with you. It's, being looking at our emails sometimes can be quite difficult, but they are great nuggets out of those listeners. Yes. So what advice would you give to someone interested in doing the same type of leadership role you currently have? Um, well, 
It's a good question. I don't know that it's for everyone. So I think that, you know, someone who's considering a role like this really should have a heart for education and for students and the student experience. Uh, It's time consuming. And, you know, I am really fortunate and then I get the opportunity to have this leadership role and balance my teaching responsibilities. But if I had a large research program at the same time, I think this would be very difficult to juggle. So, um, you know, I would really recommend this for somebody whose heart is is really into teaching and that they have sort of the, the time and the mental space to devote to it. Um, and I think I would just recommend sort of learning the landscape of the program and recognizing how many different players are involved and how there are so many things that happen behind the scenes that most faculty aren't aware of um, and sort of just learning how all those moving parts work together and the different roles that folks play. Um, because often when you understand all the players, you can have a little bit more influence and, and you know, have things go how, how you would hope. So just you know, be ready to learn a lot and recognize that, whoa, there's a lot more under the hood than you might think. Indeed, indeed. All the layers, all, as you said, the players and they're at different layers and each does different things. And yeah, it's quite the landscape to wrap one's head around. Sure is. Yeah. So as you think about, you know, your journey and the work you've um, done, the people you've interacted with, how do you support or expand education in your profession? So this is one of the things that I really enjoy about the work that I do is I get to support other faculty in their teaching and have really um, become the person in our department who people will turn to if they have questions about teaching. And that feels really good to be recognized in that way and to be able to support them. So Our department has hired a lot of new faculty recently, and so I've been working with folks on developing syllabi for new courses that they want to teach, and, you know, some of them are adapting things from something they've taught elsewhere, and they're bringing it to Emory. Others are bringing in something totally new, and they're creating it from scratch, and so I really just um, enjoy getting to work with them as they're, you know, making those plans. Every semester, I do review our course evaluations, and take a look at patterns that I'm noticing, whether it's within the same course across multiple years, or if it's sort of similar themes across multiple courses, and then try and do some problem solving, like I mentioned earlier, to figure out what can we do to make things, um, to improve things, you know, year over year. And so I work closely with faculty doing that. Um, And the most recent an exciting and slightly terrifying endeavor that I've been thinking about in, in impacting teaching in epidemiology um, is I've been writing a textbook with a dear friend and colleague of mine called Fundamentals of Epidemiology. And she and I have taught introductory epidemiology Emory College for several years, and we teach at different levels um, in the graduate school too. And trying to revolutionize how we think about teaching epidemiology And so that's what we're trying to do in this book, Um, trying to tackle common problems that students have head on instead of, you know, letting them muddle through some things that they always get confused. Just say, hey, sometimes students get confused by this thing. Here's why this isn't quite right. 
So I don't, I've never seen a book do this before. Uh, we're trying it out. We'll see what happens. Um, but that's been an, an exciting way to think about contributing to education beyond just what we're doing here at Emory. Congratulations. When can we expect the book? Uh, I think like October, 2023, like soon. Ooh. Exciting. We will make sure to post a link to it um, huh? on the podcast when it's available. Well, thank you. So um, given that success and I'm sure multiple others that you've had, what would you say contributed to your biggest successes thus far? I think it's really been teamwork and just having such um, an amazing group of folks that I work with who, you know, we have our department chair and our academic advisors and our faculty and all sort of, you know, sit at different varying levels, but it's, it's a very horizontal uh, working dynamic. And, you know, we value what our staff thinks, we value what our students think, and we all work together really towards a common goal. And I think that that has been so important. Um, and also having a strong network. So I mentioned the importance of understanding all of the different players. So, you know, we have good relationships, not just within our department, but outside as well. And having those really um, tight relationships has really helped us, particularly, you know, if we find ourselves in a sticky situation and, you know, we need help trying to figure out how do we deal with this one thing, you know, with the registrar or, Whatever the case may be, having those strong relationships, I think, has really been what's been most helpful. I love that teamwork. And then it also makes me think about, as you said earlier on, the importance of communication as a skill. That's right. Yes. So as you reflect on, um, you know, your work to date, what are or were your biggest growth opportunities? So especially early on, I think it was you know, just having the confidence that I belonged. Um, I really was just not quite so sure of myself and didn't know, you know, like, like, like I said, did I really, do I really belong here? Should I, am, am I really the best person to do this? And so I think I've come a long way since then and um, feel much more comfortable and confident. And I think, you know, these days still, it's a lifelong struggle, this time management and planning ahead. So always trying to figure out, you know, new strategies. If anyone has good strategies for, for time management and planning ahead, and I'm, I'm all ears because that's, that's still an, an area for growth for me, for sure. I think it's an area for growth for all of us. Right? It's a lifelong yeah. journey. <laughs> it really is. Um, so as you're continuing to reflect on, you know, what you've done today, what do you think most about your work and what you do? I love working with our students and getting them excited about epidemiology, um, sending them out into the workforce to be able to do great things and help, help people live healthier, longer, happier lives. It's really exciting, you know, to get to be part of their journey. Um, I think one of the things that I try to do in the classroom is sort of pull back the curtain on some of the, like, both professional and personal behind the scenes things that happen, um, to show our students that we're all human and, you know, just to give them some additional context 
about what's happening, either like why the degree requirements are what they are, or why maybe I didn't get the midterm grades out as soon as I would have liked to. Um, and I really enjoy getting to do that. I don't really think that I had those kinds of examples as a student. Um, I'm a mom of three boys. And so, you know, that influences my life in all kinds of ways. And I can't show up in the classroom, like not as a mom of three boys. And so I really enjoy getting to sort of share some of those things with my students to help them, you know, envision themselves in a role like this, or to see that, you know, we're not robots. Um, I think it's important to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, as you said, that modeling is so powerful. Um, even when we don't realize it, as we reflect back, we do realize we were looking at people for those types of models. So thank mm -hmm. you for being one. Of course. Overall, reflecting on your experiences to date then, what would you say are your passions around education in general? Um, gosh, I just, I just love education. I was thinking about this this morning. I started kindergarten when I was four and I have never left an academic setting. Um, so it has really been just a lifelong passion that I've had. I was joking that, you know, there was a time where I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher and I got that wish in the spring of 2020. And, um, you know, I found out that like, this is the right trajectory for me. Uh, but it's always, I think, just been something that is just so core to who I am. Um, but as I sort of approach, like how I think about teaching, I, I remember what it was like to be a student. There was a time where I was teaching a class that I took myself and I remember leaving in near tears so many times because the material was so difficult and I couldn't understand it. And I never would have believed that a couple years later I would be teaching the course myself. I remember what that was like. And I know it doesn't have to be so complicated. And so I think that, um, you know, I approach all of my interactions with students, whether it's in my role as the director of our program or as an instructor of one of their classes. I try to remember what it was like to be in their shoes and recognize that my journey is very different than theirs and they have you know different struggles than I did and e each of them are individuals and so you know trying to keep that big picture um in mind but you know like I said before I think it's important to lead with our humanity and you know share with my students like we all make mistakes let's you know, assume the best intentions of everyone who's here and know that we're human mistakes will happen, but we're going to work through it and, you know, get through it together. I love that. So important to have humanism in education. Yes. Yeah. So recognizing you are more than your career and you have mentioned um, mother of three boys so what are some things you do outside of work to help you maintain joy in life and practice? Um, well, certainly those boys keep me busy and um, definitely bring a lot of joy to my life and, you know, also some challenges too, but um, loving to just spend time with them and sort of 
see the world through their eyes. We do a lot of puzzles and board games in this house, like a lot. And that's been really fun, especially our youngest is like, he's five years old and he's starting to get into it a little bit. And so I really look forward to like when all five of us can, you know, sit down and and do those things together. Um, You know, I love to sew. I do a lot of crafting and sewing and that's really good for me to just sort of decompress you know, in my own mind. Um, This time last year, my parents moved to uh, the Atlanta area from Chicago. And so most recently, that's been really great to get to spend time with them and get to watch them, you know, interact with uh, my boys has been really great. And looking forward to my, my mom has a sewing thing too. So she's just gotten her sewing room in shape. And so I'm really looking forward to getting to do that together as well. I love that. You're making me want to actually take my sewing machine out of the box that it's been in for a couple of years. Do it. it. I totally recommend it. All right. All right. I've got motivation. I've got motivation. (laughs) Thank you. So those were our core questions. And so before I let you go, any other words of wisdom that you'd like to share with any aspiring educators or education leaders? Yeah, I think, you know, just paying attention to who your students are and working together with them, you know, towards a common goal. You can't go wrong um, doing that. And you know, yes, it's challenging sometimes when it feels like there are sort of competing priorities and demands, and we need to figure out how to balance faculty time commitments and constraints, you know, against what our students' needs are. But like I said before, we can do hard things. And so it's just a matter of just trying to puzzle through lots of different ideas. And, you know, you don't, you're not going to do all of them. You know, you can make a list of ideas that you have and don't cross any of them off the list right away. Um, really sort of sit and think through what you might do. And when there are times when you say, oh, we can't do this, ask yourself why. Is it just because we've never done it that way? Well, you know, just because it's never been done that way doesn't mean it's not possible. So I think just being open and and willing to try new things um, will help a whole lot. Thank you. Those are some powerful, wise words to end off on. And so just want to say a big thank you, Lauren, for talking to us today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Absolutely.